Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Resiliency and Running Podcast. My name is Liz, and I'll be your host. I'm excited for today's episode because it's an important topic that is very near and dear to my heart. It is all about National Eating Disorders Awareness Week. So just sit back and relax. We'll just jump right into the episode. All right. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. It is officially my first podcast I'm recording at 28 years old. I can't quite believe I'm 28. Just like I said in my last episode, it feels, I don't know, just very weird, I guess, with each year you get older and it's sort of like a new age. And I'm not going to lie, I'm someone who prefers and like enjoys even numbers. I kind of feel like I've gone into like 25 and 27 and I was kind of like, eh, but then like 26 and like 28, I'm kind of like, Okay, like I I feel like this will be a good year. Weird, but just a very random thing. But I always have felt like it's been so special that National Eating Disorders Awareness Week always happens to fall within my birthday week, so either the week before or after. And this year it is ranging from February 26th to March 3rd. And I have always made it a point to talk about this topic more than once a year. I'm very open about my personal eating disorder story, and I just think it's so important to constantly be raising awareness around this topic because it is just a constantly important conversation topic that I think is so important for not only those around us and our peers, but also those of a younger generation that are sort of looking up to people like us who are, you know, whether you are a runner, whether you, you know, in whatever you do, really, I think it's so important to constantly be sharing this message. So before we get into the episode, I'm just going to share some highs and lows for the week because I haven't done that in quite a while and we'll catch up a bit before jumping into the episode. All right, so like I said, I have not done highs and lows on the podcast for a few weeks, so I feel like I haven't caught up with you guys in a while, so I just wanted to talk through some highs and lows, but I feel like my low for the week isn't necessarily pertaining to the recent 10K that I raced on Saturday the 24th. It's, I think, just more so the fact that it kind of loomed over my head, and it's loomed over my head in kind of periodically and it's not like all the time it kind of like comes and goes but I feel like what has really been the reason of it just feeling like kind of like a negative I guess like thing and a low for me this week is that it's definitely a race that I feel like I could have given more in and I know that I am particularly hard on myself and it was 100% a race that I signed up for very last minute and I kind of just wanted to see where I was at and I wanted sort of a fun way to kick off my birthday weekend but Really, I feel like I sort of shot myself in the foot and I feel like I really kind of set myself this high standard of like, you know, I haven't not PB'd a race in like almost a year. And I think in the back of my head, I've been fearing the day that I don't PB a race, which I know sounds ridiculous. And I feel like the more that I am training and working towards big running goals, I know that 
the ability to PB and like the amount of time that I PB will like shorten and shorten more over the years. But I think that I am kind of just letting, I don't know, a lot of the negative thoughts kind of get the better of me. And I think it's just been a little bit hard this week. And I know that it has nothing to do with my training because I'm not training for a 10K. Like my coach reminded me, we are training for a marathon. But I think it's still hard to have a tough race day experience. And I know that the biggest takeaway that I should take away is the fact that I was in the end able to push myself through the second half rather than just DNF. And my friend Lily was a huge help, but I feel like I am just always hard on myself and I feel like it just didn't feel great. And you, you know those races where like you just don't feel good and you just want it to be over and you just like kind of just don't want to be there it just it was 100% one of those races and I kind of just feel like it was not my favorite race and then no hate to run through but they posted a photo and like myself and Lily is like the front of their carousel on Instagram and I was kind of like I once again did not want to be reminded about that race but luckily they actually have asked me to come on their podcast so I'm really excited to jump on their podcast and be interviewed in a few weeks time and I feel like it'll be a much better conversation and we won't just focus on the race at Battersea on Saturday but there will be a lot kind of to chat about and there will be a really cool kind of like full circle moment that I'll be able to share but I'm really excited and looking forward to that but yeah I don't know I think sometimes like bad race days can really like kind of hang over your head for a little bit and that's just kind of what I'm dealing with this week but I'm trying to not let it get the best of me and just like press on with my training I'd say my high for the week is obviously my birthday it was such a lovely day out and I shared a whole YouTube vlog and I literally just uploaded it today so if you want to go and check that out I'll have it in the show notes of the episode but this weekend I am very excited we got invited with ASICS to go to the World Athletics Indoor Championships in Glasgow which I have never been to Scotland and I'm so so excited and I'm just so excited because ASICS invited us and they completely kitted us out and I'm really excited to sort of get away for the weekend and I usually feel like I like to do like something for my birthday like not just kind of go out around London even though that was super super fun I think like in the back of my head I kind of wanted to like travel somewhere and because of kind of like a lot of things going on in my life at the moment I just kind of didn't feel like I wanted to commit to any sort of travel but because this sort of came up super last minute and there's nothing really like standing in the way of that for this weekend I'm so excited to be going I think it's just gonna be really cool to see elite athletes competing in person and like literally right in front of our eyes and I feel like the more that I've gotten into running the more I've learned to really appreciate the sport and I feel like it's gonna just be so cool because I have such a bigger appreciation for running versus like I feel like a few years ago I wouldn't have really truly understood like I don't know like what to look out for and like how I would understand like I don't know a track event or something so I'm really excited to kind of go into this and see it all unfold before our eyes but I feel like it's a huge opportunity that I am so grateful for and I think it's just going to be a really fun weekend so yeah really looking forward to it but it does mean that I'm going to get my long run done before we go so I'm literally doing it tomorrow morning which I'm a little bit nervous about because there is quite a lot of marathon pace in it but I think it's going to be a really really great opportunity to practice fueling and I really do want to do a podcast episode sort of sharing just like a a quick marathon training update and kind of just sharing more on those topics of like fueling and practicing fueling during marathon pace and how I'm sort of preparing for London. I definitely want to bring my coach on to go through like what we're doing differently between Chicago and London and but if you want like sort of a week by week 
week recap. I've been doing that over on YouTube and I've been really, really enjoying it. Just like going into detail of every workout and talking about like my wins and whatnot from each workout and just talking about like what I'm learning each week, what I'm changing for the next week and like literally touching on topics like nutrition and all those things. So I think it's just, it's been really fun and I haven't really been doing that as much on the podcast because I've been doing it more so on YouTube. So I'll have a link to my YouTube channel in the description, in the description, in the show notes of the episode if you want to go and check that out. But without further ado, let's just jump right into the episode. All right, so like I said, it is National Eating Disorders Awareness Week when this episode goes up as well as when I'm recording. So I think it's so important to talk about this topic and to kind of just share more. I want to talk more about just kind of things and research that I've found online that I just want to use as sort of like a catalyst for the episode. And then I'll go into sort of my personal story that I've shared a lot on social media. And I feel like each time that I share it, there is a different sort of perspective or a different spin to it. And I kind of want to share a little bit more on that later in the episode episode, but I just want to start with some sort of basics and I'm just grabbing some of these sort of basic facts and like research statistical facts from NIDA, which is the nonprofit organization supporting those affected by eating disorders. So this is more, it pertains more to those in the US, but it kind of highlights the percentage of those with an eating disorder that will experience it. So according to NIDA, 9% of the U.S. population or 28.8 million Americans will experience an eating disorder at some point in their lives. Eating disorders also have the second highest mortality rate of any mental illness with the risk of death being highest in anorexia nervosa. Eating disorders are complex medical and mental illnesses. Genetic, biological, environmental, and social factors all can play a role. And I think that some of these sort of initial statistics are just really interesting. I think the one that really hits home for me is always the one around it being the second highest mortality rate of any mental illness. And I feel like I'll kind of share again about my eating disorder story and just how that pertains to me. But I feel like in the context of the fact that like, I always think it's incredible that this week falls within my birthday week every year. I think for me, I think it's just, it serves as a constant reminder of another year of life. And it always makes me think of when I was deep in my diagnosis of anorexia nervosa and really did not know kind of like how far along I would make it, I guess, in my lifetime. And again, I'll share more details on that later on in the episode. But I think it's just something that you don't really expect with eating disorders because when I was growing up and sort of when I was initially going through it, I feel like there was such a negative, I feel like there wasn't really much information on eating disorders. And I feel like it was just this thing that was assumed that, you know, you brought it upon yourself and you decided to either starve yourself or make yourself binge and purge. And I think it's something that like, you know, these statistics say it's such a complex mental illness, but it's something that is a mental illness. And I think that that's something that's really important to highlight. And there is there was another post that I really liked that I saw on Instagram that was from the account Energy Sports Dietitian that served as sort of just some great important reminders for coaches and athletes. But I think that something that always gets misconstrued is the fact that people just assume that if you have an eating disorder, you're going to be like stick thin. But the fact of the matter is eating disorders don't have a certain look. Only 6% of people with eating disorders are underweight and someone's struggle is valid no matter what their body size is. So you don't have to like look 
incredibly malnourished in order to have an eating disorder because there are so many different types of eating disorders and it always is going to affect someone's body differently. Another thing that this woman named Abby shared is that eating disorders are not only for white females. Up to 19% of male athletes may struggle with one. Black teens are 50% more likely to struggle with bulimic behaviors than white teens. 20 to 26% of people with eating disorders are people of color. All of these individuals are less likely to receive the help that they need. One of the most common risk factors for an eating disorder is entering an energy deficit, whether that is from dieting to change one's body or an unintentional deficit that could be caused by underfueling for sport. Encouraging athletes to eat enough is one of the most important factors in in preventing eating disorders. Many behaviors that are often encouraged in athletes can strengthen a disordered relationship with food and movement. For example, only eating clean foods, completing extra training outside of what is prescribed, quote-unquote burning to earn it, strict discipline with food, and eating to lose weight slash body fat can all be signs of an eating disorder. And then she ends this post by saying, all in all, we have a responsibility as practitioners and coaches to create an environment for our athletes that empowers their performance without increasing their risk for poor body image and relationship with food. Every step taken towards fighting eating disorders ensures there will be less athletes who have to struggle. I think it's really important to kind of, I think for me, touch on the relationship between eating disorders and sports and being active as an athlete because I think for me, it's one that hits home and it's one that I kind of specifically experienced, not necessarily from having a bad coach or a coach that pressured me. I know that that happens a lot in the running world. And I had Philly Bowden on my podcast earlier last year, where she kind of shared a bit more about that story. If you want to go and check that out, Philly has an incredible story. She also shares more about that in greater detail on YouTube and her YouTube video. So I'll link those all below because I think that it's a really great insight into the running world and kind of the how that coach relationship can really affect someone's mental health, especially when it pertains to experience with eating disorders. But I feel like it can be a really fine line when you are an athlete in sport and you, when you're kind of going along for quite a long time sort of growing up and you don't really have too much of a look or thought on how your body looks or what weight you're meant to be at. I think that this is something that I experienced sort of in my earlier teens and just in my childhood growing up is just I had no idea what I what weight I was meant to be. I didn't care about the number on the scale. I ate food to fuel my body and would always be ravenous after a big like soccer practice or volleyball practice and I never really let that hold me back until I sort of started getting bullied in middle school and that was really when I started to have more of a I guess like more of a focus on what my body looked like and how it compared to others. I feel like nowadays especially in 2024 there's such a huge movement on social media to kind of move away from the wrongful messaging around, you know, legging legs was a really great example that I've done an episode on and I did some videos on social media on and just these really kind of stupid trends if I just put it bluntly that kind of pushes an individual or pushes someone to think that they have to look a certain way to either wear an item of clothing or to participate in some sort of activity and that is just not at all the truth and I feel like I'm happy that social media has sort of taken that turn because I feel like when I was younger and growing up like Instagram used to be just static images and it was just 
like mostly skinnier girls, like model girls with like really thin legs. And that was sort of like what went viral on Instagram. And that was what got a lot of likes. And I feel like when I was growing up and when I would, you know, when I first made an Instagram was probably like, I think sometime in high school, maybe. I feel like when I, I feel like when I started to take photos and I wanted to post them to Instagram, I just became more and more aware of, you know, what my friends looked like and how that compared to me. And I feel like it just made me more and more self-conscious. And I, I think that a lot of the bullying from middle school really carried over into high school. And it really, I really did make the mistake of allowing it to affect the way that I saw myself. And I think that that's one of the biggest things with bullying that I think like you always have to try and avoid is to let other people's thoughts become your own. And I think that because I was at such a young age, I really didn't have much of a, much of a grasp on my own self-confidence and being like boldly confident in who I was. And so I really let these bullies you know, thoughts and words become my own, which was such an issue because then it just like carried and carried throughout the years. And then I think that the biggest thing that anyone with an eating disorder can attribute to the eating disorders when you go through something really tough in your life, something that feels very out of control. And for me, this was when we were moving house and moving literally to a new and completely different state at 16 years old. And uprooting our lives to move somewhere away from my childhood home and our childhood friends and everything to a completely new place. And a lot of people who have experienced an eating disorder can attribute the word being control and how that links with eating disorders because when you are when you feel so out of control with everything else in your life a lot of people will move towards you know food and wanting to have that control with food and I think that that was something that I 100% could relate to and I think that it was like the one thing that just like gave me that little bit of peace of mind when everything else felt felt out of control when I really didn't know what where I would end up in a few years, what my life was going to look like, because I feel like initially growing up where I was, I sort of had this idea of where I wanted to end up and what college I wanted to go to. And I feel like now that we had moved to a completely new place, I had no idea and everything felt so out of control. And I only had two years of high school left to figure it all out. And it was just something that was really hard at the time, and especially without having friends nearby was just extra hard. And I feel like, you know, especially after getting diagnosed with the anorexia and sort of being enrolled into weekly doctor visits and therapy sessions and group therapy, it all just became a bit much. And I think that then having like other people kind of like trying to intervene with what I was trying to control and keep control of became really hard. But I feel like the moment where I really started to decide to make a change was when you know, I really started to see my weight like continuously dropping and it dropped beyond the point that I wanted it to. I had lost my period. I was dizzy all the time. I just couldn't, I couldn't even participate in sports and activities. And that's something that I really like, I feel like for me, I've like really learned now that I'm sitting here 28 years old. I feel like my, like one of my main passions in life is being athletic, calling myself an athlete. And I feel like that was one of the toughest parts of my eating disorder was getting asked by my doctor not to do any sort of movement or any sort of physical activity for six months and basically having to sit on the sideline of sports teams at school and just not being able to partake in any sort of activity. And I feel like that was also a time when I was, when I was in the depths of my eating disorder, I was using running as a very negative coping mechanism. And it's, it's one of the main reasons that I really hate treadmills because my parents,
parents used to have a treadmill in our garage in my childhood home and I used to always use it as like a punishment and just a way to like burn off calories that I felt super guilty about and I feel like it's taken a lot of work to really change that relationship with running and change I think overall my relationship with exercise to be one that's not centered around weight it's not centered around burning off calories or burning off anything it's literally to move my body and to give myself that space for my mental health. And I think that over the years, as I sort of went through more and more hard things, like, you know, things in college and then moving abroad, I think that that is when I really started to learn about how much running could play this really positive part of my life of allowing me to have the space to just like have my own me time and just go out and run for myself and nobody else. And I feel like over the years, I've definitely sort of ebbed and flowed with my recovery, I'd say. I think it's something that a lot of people with having experienced eating disorders can kind of also relate to. I think that I definitely went through a period of orthorexia, which was one that was never diagnosed, but it's one that I feel like a lot of people in their recovery journeys kind of fall into. And it's this obsession with healthy eating and only eating clean and not eating any sort of like quote unquote bad foods. And I feel like one of the main culprits of my eating disorder was my my fear of carbs. And I feel like for a while, I was able to kind of just avoid carbs as a whole because I wasn't really doing too much exercise in college. And I was only really training on the elliptical here and there. And I would pick up a few dumbbells, but that was about it. And then as we got into the pandemic and as I wanted to run more and more and just kind of was falling more and more in love with distance running, I really started to realize just like how hungry your body gets with running and how, you know, you need, it's not just about like eating enough protein, but it's also about eating enough carbs and how carbs are such a big fuel source for your running. And I feel like this was something that I learned really early on because it's a message that gets pushed around the running community quite a lot. But I feel like it wasn't until last year when I truly wanted to own up to that and truly wanted to face those fears head on. And it's one of the main reasons that I, from time to time, will create these videos online on social media and even on YouTube now of like me going out, whether we're traveling or just having a day out in London. And like, I'll like literally film myself eating foods. And I feel like I... And I used to find it really cringe or I used to think it was really cringe when people would film themselves eating. But I feel like it's a part of me that's almost like healing my, like that inner child, that 16 year old that was so fearful of calories, that was so fearful of like all of these fear foods. And to be 28 now and celebrating another year of life and to be you know, able to eat these foods and like totally enjoy them and not feel like I need to go and burn them all off the next day, but instead seeing it as, you know, a fuel source for my track session the next day. I think it's just such, it's it's such an indicator of like how far I've come in my recovery. And I feel like that's something that I never truly thought was possible because of just how hard recovery was. And I feel like I still get messages from girls and just people telling me about their eating disorder experiences, whether they're in recovery or if they're in the midst of sort of battling the eating disorder. And I think that it's really hard to understand why people struggle to recover unless you yourself have been through an eating disorder. And so like I I get what it feels like 
to want to recover so badly. But in order to do so, you have to get over these like fear foods and you have to get over that control element and you have to just like kind of get over yourself in a sense. And I feel like it sounds super harsh when I say that out loud, but really a lot of like what held me back from recovering was everything that sat inside my head. There was nothing exterior that was holding me back. It was literally just myself. And I feel like when I think about like those around me during my eating disorder, like, I don't know, my high school boyfriend, for example, at the time and like my family and friends and just like, I feel like I think about it and I just think it's so sad to think about like how people around me would have perceived and like had, would have felt sort of, I I guess like just like watching me like allow myself to continuously take steps back. And I think that it's something that I sort of forget about, but I think that it's something that I have really been thinking about a lot recently because I often will think about that time in my life, but mostly because I think like my most recent thing, and this is kind of kind of going off onto another topic, but kind of also not. One of the, I guess, like elements of my eating disorder that was sort of a part of the massive weight loss that I experienced was that my breasts, my boobs shrunk a lot. And recently I was speaking on social media for the very first time really about how I've always in the back of my mind thought about getting a breast reduction. And I know that this is like not at all meant to be related to eating disorders and like National Eating Disorders Awareness Week. But I think that like if I'm just being like genuinely completely transparent here and this sounds genuinely so bad but it's like it is truly the one thing that I miss about just like that time in my life is just like having really small boobs and I know that that sounds again really really bad but like hear me out I've always had scoliosis I think I got the diagnosis of scoliosis when I was in middle school as well and so I've always had back problems I've always had posture problems at the same time when I was 13 I just got hit with puberty a lot earlier than a lot of my friends. So I've been 5'8 since I was like 13 and I was one of the first of my friends to get my period and my boobs. And for most of my life, not currently at the moment, but for most of my life, I had like double D breasts and it was just a lot to manage. It made me quite insecure when it came to exercise because I didn't like how much they moved. And I also, on the other hand, kind of got really frustrated trying so many different sports bras. And I know that like people will like tell you that like there's this one specific sports bra that you have to try that maybe you haven't tried yet. But I feel like being someone who's been struggling with this since I was like 13 years old is just really frustrating to hear because for me, it's it goes so, it's so much more than just like finding the right sports bra. It's just like the fact that for the longest time, I have allowed myself to feel super insecure about my breasts. And I have like always been sort of like hunched over and my mom always was, you know, correcting my posture when I was younger, but I would hunch over because I was so insecure about how large my boobs were. And I think I don't know. It's just hard. And especially getting into running, I feel like when I look at so many female athletes that I look up to and like, especially like female athletes that are really fast. And again, this is by no means saying that you have to have like a small chest in order to be fast. That's not at all what I'm saying. What I am saying is I am jealous of 
the female runners that have no boobs and like basically really small boobs that don't have to think about like, okay, which sports bra do I have to wear for this specific, you know, run where I'm going to be running for 16 miles. So it can't be, you know, one of these flimsy bras. It has to be something with like more support, but you know, oh, that one's in the wash. And so what other one can I pick out? And it's something that I, I don't know, I think I've just like kind of gotten to really be frustrated with. And I feel like I'm kind of just over it at this point. And so I, again, like this seems so unrelated, but it is just something that I think about from time to time. Whether or not I will get a breast reduction is something that I'm still definitely looking into. It's something that I, I'm not going to lie, like sometimes I look back at the eating disorder photos of me when I was that small and like genuinely the only thing that I miss about those photos is just how small my chest was. Like I don't miss anything else. I don't miss being super bony and like not being able to lay down on a gym floor without everyone hearing my spine move up and down off the floor like that was horrible. I think it's just like for where I'm at now in terms of like loving running and loving just like, you know, chasing big goals and big time goals. For me, I think I'm just like, I get so over it sometimes. And I feel like this feeling really comes when I'm like in the midst of marathon training and you're just like, you chafe every weekend and you just like have so many different pains and it's just so annoying and the showers hurt after. But I don't know. It's just something that I wanted to kind of open up about for the first time this past weekend and I want to kind of share more you know whether or not I decide to embark on that journey and again I know this was a complete tangent to the episode but just something that I wanted to talk about because I don't know it's just it's something that I have been just thinking about a lot but I also want to chat about and it was something that I opened up about sort of specifically on Instagram stories and I sort of opened it up to the floor and A lot of people shared not only their experiences, but also like, you know, what they learned from it, what they think were the pros and cons of, you know, getting a breast reduction and especially how that relates to running. But I am very grateful for people who are open to sharing their experiences. And I guess that that's sort of why that I like to come on the podcast and I like to come on social media and sort of share about like my personal experiences like an eating disorder and to kind of just share more insight on that to raise awareness, but also just to kind of like help people feel like they're connected and that they're not alone. And so in return, I just want to say thank you to anyone who did respond to that question box because it was really incredible to see the amount of women that were just flooding that question box with all of their experiences and then like going even further in DMs and just like sending paragraphs on paragraphs. Like it was really genuinely like something that I have been so scared about like opening up about and like admitting to, but it's so nice to see that I am not alone in that, I guess. And so yeah, I guess I'm just going to end the episode on that tangent because it's just something that was very random, but just something that I was thinking about during National Eating Disorders Awareness Week. But like I said, I think that you know, eating disorders and the recovery journey are just a constant topic that I want to talk about because it's something that I've not only experienced, but it's something that has not been super perfect for me. And I don't think anyone's recovery journey is going to be linear. I don't think that anyone's, you know, battle with an eating disorder journey is going to be linear. I think that it's something that we as adults have to constantly work at every single day. And so if you are in that space right now, if you are sort of going through that, I hope that you know that you're not alone and that if you ever need someone to talk to, my DMs are always open. You can always reach out to me and 
I appreciate you and I thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast episode and for continuously tuning into the podcast on a weekly basis. It really, really means the world. It still blows my mind that this podcast has hit well over 100,000 listens, which is just crazy. And I am very grateful for people that take the time weekly to tune in. So I just want to say thank you. And I know that I bring it up all the time, but I just really appreciate it. And I hope that you found this episode helpful or insightful or encouraging in some way. And if you ever have topic requests for future episodes, you can always DM me or let me know. I also think that there's a Q&A function in the Spotify app that you can reply to. I've seen some people send in replies in the past. And so if you want to use that functionality, that's also really great. But other than that, I will close out the episode here and look forward to seeing you in the next episode. All right, everyone, that's going to wrap up another episode of the Resiliency and Running podcast. I really do hope that you enjoyed it. As always, if you ever have any questions, you can reach out to me via DM. I have all of my details in the show notes of the episode. Otherwise, I look forward to seeing you in the next one. Bye.